Welcome to the Love and Leadership Podcast. This is Laura. As always, I'm joined by my favorite co-host in the whole world, Mike McFall. Mike, how you doing? <laughs> Wonderful. And your only co-host, which is I, I mean, for now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if that holds up over time. Yeah, no, things are doing? good. I, you know, yeah. how's how's uh, how's Blueberry? How are things? <laughs> Blueberry is good. Blueberry is nicknamed for a uh, baby girl that I am currently cooking and she's doing great. She's taking up a lot of space and that's yeah. all. Yeah. Ready she for her addiction. No? I think so. She, yeah. Well, she seems to get upset if I relax. She's like, no, you will not relax. <laughs> I'm like that's going to have to end when you come out, baby girl, because we need to relax a little bit. But yeah, we're doing OK. Good. Good, 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 good. So something that I've been thinking about this week, I was just in a, a Seahive meeting. Seahive is the name of our executive leadership team at the Baby Coffee Home Office. We were in a meeting yesterday and I was taken by the complexity and difficulty of language in that meeting, organizational language especially. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about this because it's 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 sort of breaking my brain, if I'm being totally honest, the the idea that everyone has different definitions for the same words. And sometimes when we're talking about things, we're, we're talking about them in a way that we're pretty sure we know exactly what the other person means. And, and then you get to the end of the conversation and you realize you're on completely different pages about completely different definitions about the same word. And it's just, it's really freaking hard to keep language straight within an organization is basically the concept that's in my mind and and the idea that language is just a construct and you have to you have to apply meaning to words agree upon the meaning to those words especially within an organization and then you have to keep doing that re- repeatedly so that you don't lose the definition of the words i don't know it hurt my brain and it's been going around in circles in my mind ever since. Some would say that your your culture is the words you choose and how you collect, collectively define those words. Mm-hmm. And that makes that whole conversation way more meaningful because you're essentially describing the culture of your organization with the words you choose, but then oh boy, there's a lot to the meaning that you attach to a word. And I guess I'd love to explore, if you are willing, what what are the words that are breaking your brain? <laughs> Yesterday, it was the word strategy and sometimes the word alignment. Um, stra- <laughs> strategy, though, I think is the one I keep coming back to where I don't know if anyone knows what it means is, is the actual thought in my mind. I don't know if we know what it means. I don't know if we know what it does. We've spent, you and I have spent lots of time talking about certain words in the world. Um, love, love in the workplace, workplace culture, healthy workplace culture. Like we've talked about these things. I feel very solid that when we're talking about those things, we're talking about the same thing. But when we talk about a concept like strategy, strategic planning, visioning actually sometimes pops in here too, because I think it's connected. Um, 
I think, I think we all get a little bit lost sometimes, or we think, or we think we know what we're saying. And, and then you get to the end of the conversation, you find out that you, you don't know what you're saying. Yeah. And, and the problem I find is that everybody thinks they know exactly what it means. And they do, they do for themselves. (laughs) Right. And that's, I think that's the rub right there is that you think, you know, and oh, by the way, you do know, but it's only an association with you and it's not taking into account what everyone else is, how everyone else is defining that word and using that word. So, you know, we get caught into it all the time. Uh, you know, I like for me, the big ones that I see in the world that I think everyone has different meaning around is purpose, vision, and mission. Mm, yeah, that's purpose, you. vision, and mission. They get, they get sort of used interchangeably. And I'm like, no, no, no. These are really different concepts. You know, yeah. and and so unless you have alignment around what mission is in relation to vision and then in relation to purpose, yeah, you're you're not having a meaningful conversation at that point. Right. Right. And I think it's so important that organizations do this work. Uh, but I know it can be it can be frustrating even sitting around that table, taking the time, you're trying to talk about your actual strategic plan right? So this was yesterday as the example, we're actually trying to talk about the strategic plan. And someone like Laura shows up and is like, what do we mean? What do we mean by strategy? What do we mean by strategic plan? And I can like see people's blood pressure rising because they're like, we don't have time to talk about that. And I'm like, no, we have to talk about that. That's how we've written down things like our vision, our purpose, our values, our operating core values, our operational philosophy, our operating mission. Like we have, we do have all those things written down. And we spent I remember the conversations figuring out what the heck purpose was and and why it was important. We spent like a year to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. What the heck (laughs) vision is and why it's important. What the heck mission is and why it's important. And, you know, the thing is, so I'm so excited. I'm so excited, Laura. Can I tell you a secret? Yeah. Yeah. So no one knows this yet. Um, The podcast will be delayed. Uh, so I can go ahead and announce it because <laughs> I think it'll be, uh, well, we'll hope it's public by that. But if not, hey, we're just going. So what Bob and I are going to do a series of interviews okay. that are going to be, I think, about this topic, really. Oh. I didn't, I didn't, didn't dawn on me, but it's going to be about this topic, which is um, the fundamental questions and the fundamental ideas around Big B Coffee. And we're going to do like Mm. a 12 to 16 series where we do a deep dive on every single one that we can think of. And then we've said it now, you know, and, and because up until this point, we don't have a place to go to talk about what the heck these words mean. And, And I, and I, and I want to be vague like that because these words are every word, you know, it's everything. So yes. And, and then, okay, let me also say one other thing about that. You showing up to a meeting and saying, no, but what do we mean by strategy? Okay. Sure. It sounds a little simple and it sounds like you're kind of the, the, the dumb one that doesn't get it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But the smartest person that I've ever worked with and known he believes his job is to show up and ask the simple, dumb mm. question. 
right? Yeah. And that's what you were doing yesterday. Like all people want to talk about is the strategic, whatever that thing is, but it's like, what, what are we, what do we mean by that? So yeah. I, I, I love that you're showing up and asking the questions. <laughs> I, did you get a reasonable result or was it a little no. rough? No. no, it was rough, but it was, we, I think we made progress. <laughs> I think we, we understood that we have differing definitions of strategy. And so that, that's sort of the first step, I think in, it's like recognizing you have a problem. <laughs> like that was the first step in us yeah. getting to hopefully a, an agreed upon definition. Yeah. In By the way, the I had a conversation with Gilkey the other day where he told me, he said, um, Mike, what you're talking about is not strategy. And I was like, oh, 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 but, but I think it is. Right. <laughs> so that's exactly what you're talking about. That's you know? exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's, yeah. He's not wrong. He's not, I'm no. not wrong. No, we just have different definitions or ideas around what that word means. Yes, and for Bigby Coffee, we're going to need to agree upon a definition for strategy, uh, and we'll keep doing our strategic planning, which is sort of its own whole thing. Where are you going to um, be publishing this interview series? It is it's just an- going to be an internal piece. It's okay. it's just going to be an internal piece. Yeah, we're not cool. we're not going out in the world with it. It's really just for alignment around, you know, things like the history of and what the core values, you know, the history of the core values, how we got to them, what they were, and then maybe it's going to be the history of like uh position priorities. Uh, maybe it's going to be cool. the history of why we set up the marketing fund the way we did. It's going to be all these very specific things that people I don't think no. Right. And yeah. so it'll be for franchise owners, for employees at the store level, it'll be employees at global owners development. And yeah, the, the t- intention is definitely not to go public with it. Cause we want to be able to just talk freely. Like, sure. like he and I are just sitting in a room All bullshit about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Well, speaking of sitting in a room and, and bullshitting with each other, uh, I think that's a great segue into uh, introducing our guests for today. Uh, today is really fun because it's a group of people uh, from the Life You Love Laboratory, which is our team at the at the Baby Coffee Home Office, and we've got three friends that are going to be joining us on here: Alicia, Jeremy, and Bree. And they're going to tell you more about, you know, what it is that they do, what it is that they care about. But I'm just really excited to dive in with a couple of friends. I think everyone on this call, we've all been working together for a decade, at least (laughs) two decades with Jeremy. So uh, it's just going to be a cool conversation. I'm really excited to dive in. And I'm so excited. Like I think of this group, this Life Lab group that's going to be on. It's some of our most seasoned people in our organization. In fact, I, you know, I just I did a little math on my phone calculator here, and we have, I believe, it's 18 years on average tenure. 18 on average, right? Yeah. That's and so nuts. it's like 87 years of collective experience at Big B Coffee, and and we're all so well. Me, I'm not, but y'all are so young. <laughs> And that, that's what makes it so cool, right? Like y'all started in the stores as baristas, probably at whatever, 19 years old, you know? And so, I mean, everybody's still so darn young and we've got amazing amount of, an amazing amount of tenure experience on this, yeah, on so this group. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of passion. I think we should just jump right into it. Let's get Perfect. into it with the Life Lab team. Hello, my friends. How are we doing? Good. Good. 
Pretty good. Yeah, we're good. All right. This is such a fun one. Uh, It's a unique group of people uh, where we all happen to know each other real, real well. So disclaimer for the day. This is a little less get to know you and a little less uh, showcase our our, our team and our, our, our relationships and our goodness. So uh, we're going to jump right in uh, with first question. And I'm going to point to, I don't know, this will be exciting every time because we have three guests and that's a lot to manage. So uh, let's go to Brie first. Brie, uh, can you tell us who are you, where are you from, and what is it that you do? Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Bree Roper. Um, I'm from just outside of Lansing, Michigan. I live in a little town called Grand Ledge. And I am a people development mentor at the Big B Coffee home office and a proud member and founding member of the Life You Love Laboratory in the Boost Sphere. Awesome. Uh, Jeremy, same questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What is it that you do? I am Jeremy DeRider. I'm from the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. I'm also a personal development mentor and It'll be interesting to distinguish what constitutes founding member of Life You Love Laboratory <laughs> versus Boost Sphere. That, that's some nuance we can maybe get into uh, inside this conversation. <laughs> I think you're all original enthusiasts. Uh, I think that can be said for everybody on this call. Uh, Alicia, tell us, who are you? Where are you from? And what is it that you do? <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Alicia Beck. Uh, I live in Farmington, Michigan, which is in the Southeast Michigan um, area. And I am also a people development mentor. And I also had the same exact question when she said founding member. I was like, wait, do I count? So I'm excited. <laughs> I have to dig into that one. <laughs> I think everybody counts here. (laughs) Uh, So you're all people development mentors. Can I have someone explain what the heck that means? Um, Let me take a stab at it. Yeah, let me see what happens here. So so the people development mentors are a group uh, that belong to the Life You Love Laboratory or Life Lab for short. And we spend our time doing a few different things. Our main goal is to support baristas out in the world. um, And we want to support our franchise owners in making their Big B Coffees the best place to work in their local community. So that's like one subset of what we do. We also create uh, content. We develop materials and tools to help people in their journey toward building a life they love. And then finally, we all offer a coaching program for the folks that work here in our home office where they can get support on whatever's going on in their own life. And we we coach them. We are working on helping them take the next right step in their lives. So that's sort of a, a brief overview of the, the different um, the different lanes that we drive in, I guess. Good. Anybody want to add anything to that? Awesome. (laughs) Um, Jeremy, will you explain what the Life You Love laboratory concept is? Yeah. So I I think that it uh, it is the Big B Coffee Leadership Institute. That was the original dream that goes back many years now. And it is uh, an opportunity for us to help develop leaders inside of Big B Coffee. And, and that is a, a direct way to go to work on Big B Coffee's vision of improving workplace culture in America. Like great leaders are the key to great culture. <laughs> and so um, Life You Love Laboratory is sort of like the R&D wing of Big B to help develop, like you heard Bree say, uh, the tools and resources that people can use to, to become better leaders and to further their culture uh, inside of their uh, individual organizations. Yeah, very cool. 
Okay. So I love, uh, hearing about life lab, of course, because this is what we do with our time, uh, every day. And that's amazing. But I also want to dig in a little bit more to each of your stories. Cause you referenced even, uh, you know, what does it mean to be a founding member? What does it mean uh, to be an OG around this concept? Uh, so let's talk about some of the highlights of your personal journeys that have landed you within the Life You Love Laboratory now at Big B Coffee. So Leash, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, how the heck did you get here? And I mean, it might be that you go all the way back to, I don't know, Duncan days. Um, whenever you want to pick up your story as far as how you landed doing this people development work. Yeah. So you mentioned Duncan. Um, I actually right out, right out of the gate when I was looking for a job, um, I knew I wanted to work with people and connect with people. And so I actually became um, an employee at Duncan Onis Baskin Robbins back when I was like 17 years old. Um, and I worked there for probably about seven years. And I had sort of reached the top of the ladder at the store level and I wanted something more. I was like, I know I wanted to grow. I wanted to develop. Um, I really liked working. And so I was sort of going to school, but I really, really wanted to figure out what the next step was. So I took a huge risk. I moved across the state um, and I had no job at the time. And so I started job searching and I knew I had a set of skills. And so I stumbled upon Big B. Uh, I worked at a store for probably about two years and I met um, a girl who worked at the home office who came in and did our store inspections. And I was like, I want to do what she does. One, because she was just mad and delightful. Um, and I really liked her. And also I just, I knew that there was more for me outside of the store level stuff, which I had been doing for so, so long. And so that's when I jumped into, uh, the home office and I was hired in as a home office percolator. Um, and I did new store openings and trainings and something called our perk pop-ins. And so I did the mystery shops and I sort of just worked my way through over the course of the last 10 years. I was a business coach for a while. I worked in product development for a minute. Um, I, I've, I've had a lot of jobs. I've overseen, um, you know, project management, things like that. Um, but I've always known that I loved working with people. I love coaching with people. I love helping people realize their potential. Um, and so as soon as we sort of, you know, started exploring this world of truly leaning into people and culture development, I was like, that's me. Like, that's me in a job. And so I, I over the course of a few years, started taking little bits and pieces to like find my way over to this team full time. And about two years ago, I was able to move into this role full time. Um, but yeah, I hope that covers it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you did great. Hey, Laura, Laura, Hi. I am, I'm just overcome sitting here looking at all of you. And I know we all know this, but all five of us started as baristas. Oh yeah. 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 Isn't that crazy? That's wild. It's cool. <laughs> I always yeah. warn people when I, when they, when I came and visited your class a couple weeks ago, Mike, and I. Uh, found out who the baristas in the room were. I gave them the heads up. Watch out. It'll change your life. <laughs> it's changed all of our lives becoming baristas at Bigby stores. And you might not even expect it to no. do that. You might not even know it's no, going. That's at amazing, all. right? That's so cool. So speaking of that, Jeremy, what about you? What's your sort of journey that has led you where we are now? Yeah. So also, as Mike mentioned, started as a barista. And so 
I went to Michigan State University with plan A being a high school teacher. And when I moved out of the dorm, I'd been working as a dishwasher in the cafeteria. I'm sorry, dishroom lead supervisor. Thank you very oh, much. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Leadership <laughs> qualities had emerged early. <laughs> and uh, I needed a job that was not involving me having to, to uh, walk back into campus. And so um, saw a help wanted ad in the newspaper. We can put something in the show notes, maybe explaining what help wanted ad and what a newspaper are. <laughs> Some of our listenership is, but this is back in 2000. Um, and I got hired on the spot. Uh, I, I thought it would be a fun job working with coffee. I was a coffee drinker. I'd been to a, a couple of the stores that were in the East Lansing area, uh, as a customer, um, but didn't know much about the company at all. And it got good to me. I ended up uh, working at the store for three years. I ended up taking over managing the store. And um, I ended up getting recruited by uh, Big B co-founder, co-CEO Bob Fish, to come do part-time data entry work at, at the little home office that existed back then. I think there were six employees, including Bob, Mike, and Mary, if memory serves. That was my foot in the door position. But I quickly found my way uh, back to education. I ended up becoming uh, director of training. And then that led through uh, a series of different roles inside the organization, kind of like Alicia was saying. I, I helped out in a lot of different spaces. It was, you know, as a small company, you have to wear a lot of a lot of hats. At one point, it was just Bob, Mike, and Mary wearing all the hats. And so, same thing for those of us who've been around a while. We've had to wear a lot of hats. And so, um, training, operations, marketing were the big positions before coming to Boost uh, in 2018. Um, and so, I would note one other intersection point that I think is part of this story for, for me and for, for everyone on the call, which would have been the first time we all went out into the woods together, um, which was part of sort of a trial run test run that involved Bob, Mike, and a bunch of then operations team folks um, before we launched our first leadership forum. And I, I would be surprised if there weren't seeds planted in everyone's heart in that moment that eventually came to fruition inside of Boost and inside of uh, the Life Love Laboratory. So that would be the only other thing I'd add to maybe modify Alicia's story. Other than the fact that, Alicia, you very rudely cut out the fact that I was the person who hired you into I the home office. It's like a highlight, <laughs> a true highlight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, just because I, I have a feeling at least one person out there was like, what do you mean you went out in the woods? <laughs> Because that just sounds weird. Um, could you please explain what that means and what were we doing and what were we trying? What did we end up doing in the woods? Yeah, so that was a chance to work with a company uh, called Crux Move Consulting. And Michael had had the idea. And this might be better actually having Michael sum it up. But Mike, Michael took the idea of having basically a support group for franchise owners that you drew from your YPO experience, uh, I believe. And so that was that was what we were testing by going out in the woods to work with this team that helps you build a solid trusting foundation as a team, uh, and that was that was what we were doing out in the woods. We're working on that. And I was rereading some stuff this week, and and you know we actually didn't go on the retreat as a leadership retreat for our team. We went on it to like you know test them for the forums because <laughs> yeah. I mean, we didn't need a retreat. What the heck would we need a retreat for? <laughs> We're just a random culture was a little people. different then. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um, perfect. Okay. Brie, your turn. How the heck did you get here? Okay. So 
Uh, yeah, how the heck did I get here? I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, way back into uh, like the the very childhood of me oh. as a human, um, where I learned that I don't sit still very well, <laughs> um, and I'm very active. And the one thing that I've always brought to the table is like jumping in headfirst and being enthusiastic about doing stuff. And uh, that led me to basically becoming a performer um, by training. I'm an actor and a musician, and just being energized, being on my feet, going, 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 always being uh, the, the kind of person who's like, what can we do next? What can we do more of? How can we do it better? That sort of runs through my core. And so in college, I worked a job as a waitress at TGI Fridays. I liked that company a lot. It was high energy. Um, I got to be really active. I got to be friendly. I got to perform a little. Like if you've, if you've ever waited tables, you realize like a certain element of doing that is performing. It's making people laugh. It's making sure they have a good time. It's hospitality. I loved that. Um, I went through sort of a phase in early adulthood, late adolescence, whatever you want to call it, where I was like, I'm going to freelance, I'm going to work a serious office job nine to five, and then I'm going to freelance in the evenings. Um, that serious office job really, really took it out of me. And uh, I spent about 18 months with a bank. Oh my gosh. And it was quiet and it was boring. And I was really becoming disenchanted with that idea. So I picked up, I moved to the Lansing area where I spent my days being a nanny for my nephew. Uh, he was an infant at that time. And I recognized that I really needed to talk to some people who were not an infant <laughs> during that time. Um, and I literally went around the block from where I was living and found a Big B coffee. My sister and my brother-in-law were obsessed with Big B. Um, they took all of their friends there when they would come to visit. They took all of their family there. They loved the vanilla bean, just in case you're wondering what they drank. Um, and so I went around the corner and I was just like, hi, you should hire me. I talk a lot and I have a lot of energy and I'm super reliable and I love coffee. Um, and um, <laughs> the person who hired me still tells the story of how, like, I was just like, you need to pick me. You need to pick me. Are you picking me? Um, and I started in that store in July of 2008. Um, and I haven't left Big B since then. Um, I worked as a barista, percolator, store leader, joined the home office team to work in franchise support, doing trainings and openings and uh, business coaching for our franchise owners. That little retreat <laughs> that you guys heard uh, Jeremy talk about and Alicia talk about into the woods um, was a turning point for me. In fact, I remember at some point turning to either Bob or Mike, I'm not sure, at the end of that retreat and going, we need one of those ropes courses like on the roof of our building. We're still we working on it, Bree. We're still working on it. We're working on it, I promise. <laughs> Um, and, and then when we got the opportunity to, to sort of invest in this boost sphere idea, this people development sphere idea, um, I didn't hesitate to, to, you know, sign up for that, to get myself in that door because I knew it was going to be fun, exciting. I knew it was going to be meaningful and active. And, um, I knew we were going to have the opportunity to make the world a better place as far as workplaces and, and employment is concerned. And that's what we're doing now. And I'm just you know, every day I still wake up jazzed to go <laughs> to go to work and to do what we get to do. Yeah. So cool. So let's talk a little bit about the history of Life Lab, because I think now we've uh, successfully uh, muddied the beautiful waters uh, by uh, referencing Boost, referencing Life Lab, referencing the Leadership Institute. Uh, so Life Lab started as a concept uh born i think out of that retreat truly uh where we were like we need to we need to do this we need to offer something 
uh, to the world, to our company that has never existed, I don't think, in a franchise organization before, which is this human sphere of uh, attention. And and I think Jeremy used the words R&D department kind of thing, human R&D department. I love that uh, idea. So <clears throat> can someone clarify the difference between Boost and Life Lab? Specifically, ec- Jeremy, how about you do this? Yeah, I've got yeah. theory on this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's more clear if we rewind the clock just a couple of years. So Boost is the the main department would be its analog inside of other organizations. And Life You Love Laboratory is a team within it. And so two years ago, there was a second team inside the Boost sphere, which is the HR team. And so they were separate teams with aligned missions, but focused on different things. And since then, with some minor reorganization by bringing in um, uh, Jody Latuza, who's an amazing HR uh, person, <laughs> pro, um, we ended up separating that team outside of the Boost sphere. But anyway, that's that to me is the distinction between Boost and Life Love Laboratory. Today, I view them as functionally synonymous. Yeah, I think so. I think we're still called boost on the budget. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, um, sorry, Mike, did you have anything? I feel like I'm no, driving no, the, go, the, go. The I love bus. it. Okay, cool. Let me add one more driving the bus. Just drive it, drive it hard. Let me add one more, one more distinction though that I think is worth saying, right? Because the Life Level Laboratory, though specifically, was also born out of the like new world that was the COVID shutdown and the immediate mm-hmm. after effect, which is like people have time on their hands right now for, for people that were, you know, part of a shutdowns and locked in at home basically. And they're out there doing things. And we've had these resources, these workshops. And so why not put them on offer to, especially our stakeholders, but the public at large, why not? But to, to, to have a go to market, it helps to have a brand and like boost fear was not a brand. And so life you love laboratory is a, brand. And so that, that's another key distinction for me. So yeah, Boost is something that shows up on a budget item. Life Lab or Life You Love Laboratory are things that show up on uh, shirts and on signage and stickers and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, Alicia, can you talk about some of the things we offer out of Life Lab that, that are the specific things we're trying to give, offer as a benefit, offer as a boost uh, to the Bigby Coffee system? What are some of the things that we actually do with people? Absolutely. Um, So Jeremy just mentioned the workshops. So we have um, five total workshops that are available for free for those within Bigby Nation. Um, We do offer them for people who are outside of Bigby. People have stumbled upon us and actually joined our workshops and then joined as franchise owners, which is like amazing. Um, But yeah, we have our workshop program where people can really go to work on themselves um, and develop and take the time there. Um, And we also have a ton of team building stuff. So we we do that with our our internal staff, but we've also done a lot of team building consulting with our stores as well. And so we'll go in and we'll work a little bit with teams, figure out what they are trying to go to work on, whether it's they're trying to learn a little bit more about each other, whether they're trying to tackle a specific specific issue, um, get more camaraderie, whatever it is, we have a tool belt that we can um, sort of 
pick and choose what works best for people. Um, Brie mentioned in her intro, or maybe it was it was earlier. I don't remember what part, but um, we offer coaching as well. So we o- offer one-on-one coaching um, with our home office staff where we just go to work on supporting them and building lives that they love, whether they can be setting goals or working on um, growing, developing, just having someone to talk to, whatever that looks like. Um, and that's all that's coming to mind right now. Can I interject? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. I'm not going to designate because I don't know who who would get the feeling to answer this. So here we have. We've got uh, four of our most seasoned people in the entire organization working in this concept life lab and the boost sphere, which is about people development, leadership development what I'm beginning to call human centric leadership. Why would a company do this? I was going to ask you that. (laughs) I was literally, (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, why would a company fund this? I don't need to answer it. Anyone anyone on this call is, is, (laughs) is equally capable of answering that question. I, I, I'm very confident. And I would prefer someone else answers it. Okay, but I'm still going to ask you later, just FYI. <laughs> okay. I, was, I like Brie for a general answer, and I've got a specific answer for why Big B is doing it. But I love Brie for the, like, why would an organization do it? Because I, I love your brain on this topic. Yeah. Um, I mean, gosh, I don't know. And now I'm, now I'm worried because I don't know where you want me to go with it. But I'm just going to go where <laughs> yeah, I go because gonna... that's how I do. Um, but I, I mean, I think that the world, um, you know, there's – there's this reality in the world that the workplace is not a great place to be. And we see it in movies and television. We see bad, toxic workplaces being a central, like, comedic plot line for a lot of people's lives. We see it in dramas. We see, you know, just toxic bosses. Think of Michael Scott. Like, we see this out there in our culture. And I think that what we can recognize is that society's kind of accepted that that's what the workplace is going to be. It's going to drag you down. It's going to make you tired. It's going to make you desperate for Friday at five when you can be done. It's going to make you sick to your stomach on Sunday at five when you know you have to go back the next day. And the world is just kind of like, okay, I guess that's what we do. And I think that what you're, what we've got going on here is, is a group of people who are like, Hey, I don't think it has to be that way. I think it would be cool if the workplace wasn't killing you. That, that sounds possible. And it seems like it's something we could do. And imagine being like a business owner who's sitting there going, oh, I don't want my people to be sick and calling in and and psychologically unsafe and stressed out about everything else in their life. I want people to be coming in energized, focused, feeling supported, feeling cared about and ready to go. Who do you want selling your coffee at that point? Do you want the person who's coming in dragging a backpack full of toxic nonsense with them? Or do you want the person coming in who's like, this workplace loves me. I love my boss. I love my coworkers. My customers are awesome. Like, who do you want? Who's going to be better for your business in the long run? And I think the basic, like the story should be, the narrative should be healthy people make healthy workplaces and healthy workplaces make healthy businesses and healthy businesses make healthy communities and healthy communities can take care of their environment and the other people in them. And that's why a business should do this is because healthy people will be the answer to everything. I mean, Podcast wow. Over. Wow. Yeah, I mean, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> That's why uh, Jeremy <laughs> Vaughn told you for that. <laughs> you had that. The, the only thing I'd, I'd add from, from the Bigby-specific context, and this is going to sound kind of uh, like underwhelming after what Bree had to say, but from, from the Bigby context, to me, it was the next, it was a natural outcome. That, that we would become involved and interested in doing this with a really major asterisk on this. To me, it's a natural outcome for Bigby to get involved with taking care of people and, and helping to improve the workplace. But that's because we've always been about people since, since the beginning. It's baked into our DNA. And so when I remember going through my, my very first barista training, uh, sitting outside of store three on the patio and reading the first page of the training manual after the table of contents about our operating philosophy perk. And I, I'd worked all kinds of different entry level type positions inside of retail and food service before. Hadn't seen anything like it. And it's an acronym, right? And, and I, so E and R are the things that are special to me because every customer leaves the store in a better mood than when the customer arrived. And R is recognize each customer as an individual. That one is the one that I think should be on a frame inside of every room of, of Bigby Coffee or any organization for that matter because that's all about making sure that your people feel special. And so that was, that was there from 2004. And I know it was, it was written uh, shortly after uh, store one was opened before store two opened, uh, like from a history lesson standpoint. So anyway, people has always been there. Caring about people has always been part of Big B. And so it was a natural outcome that we'd be concerned with it. But here's the asterisk is it required Mike and Bob and the other leaders in the organization, but especially Mike and Bob to unlearn all of the things that they would have picked up along the way about what leadership is and what business is. It's, and, and I, and having walked alongside the two of you as you've gone through that process, I know it's been, a, it, it has been a process for you. Like it has been a, a steady journey of, of hard work to sort of realign who you need to be to the organization. So it's a natural outcome with a ton of hard work, uh, by by Bob, Mike, and all of the other leaders who've contributed to this uh, journey along the way, but otherwise and it was totally. We're natural. still we're still in it, right? We're still in yeah. it. I mean, it's oh, it's yeah. like I don't percent complete, no idea. <laughs> you know, uh, 10, 20, 30, <laughs> I don't know, somewhere in that range. It's not seventy, eighty, ninety. That's for sure. Uh, the one thing, the one thing I would add to the, to this is that you know, we went and found our purpose and our purpose is, is to support you in building a life that you love. And, and that led into a vision, which is to improve workplace culture in the United States. And the reason that was so important to us and the reason that it is so grand in scope, similar to that of colonizing Mars or, you know, some of these other amazing purposes that are out there. Uh, it's because the number one cause of death in the United States is chronic disease. The leading factor in, in, in chronic disease is stress and anxiety. The number one factor in stress and anxiety for people is the workplace and finances. And so by taking on workplace culture, we believe that we're taking on the leading killer, the leading cause of death in the United States. And if there is, there is no more noble cause than that, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I always describe that. What our team does is we are taking on a human health care crisis in the United States. Casual, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Normal and, and all out of a coffee company, you know. And and uh, and it's and I and I just love the fact though that like the company itself that you have to run is the challenge that presents itself, where we all get to work on and improve 
because you need a challenge to improve. So the challenge is the company. We're all doing self-development work. We're all becoming stronger teams. And then those teams can take on meaningful challenge like we just talked about. Yeah. Mike, I am still going to come back to you with the question though, because I think there's an important conversation that we get confronted with, with other leaders who are struggling over, you know, do I have to set up a, a life lab type department for my company? And how do I, how do I justify that? How do I justify that with a board of directors? How do we justify the funding of it? Um, and at some point you said, yes, I'm not sure at the moment in time you were, you knew, uh, what you were saying yes to, because if I remember correctly for the first two years, we were not a funded department. We were more like a conceptual department where we got to put things in our signature lines, um, and that kind of thing. But how, how, how in your mind as a business owner and as a CEO, how did you justify this concept that, uh, we're going to fund a team whose entire job is to just make people's lives better other than the fact that it feels good, but there's gotta be more to it than that. Well, I mean, there's, so there's, there's, there's two parts to that question, uh, which uh, the first one is, is why did it work for Bob and I, and and it worked for Bob and I, because we, you know, at some point we'll disclose all the details on this, you know, but like the company was doing well, we were making significant money, you know, uh, the company's value was increasing dramatically every year and we were losing inspiration. We were like every, honestly, every year that would go by, it was like, well, why are we doing this? Like, is this just to add another dollar to the bank account? Because like, and, and so you, you all know Bob and I well, and it's like it, for us, it wasn't about Ferraris and private planes, you know, and, and for a lot of people, that's what a business gets them. And I guess that's fulfilling, but that's not, that's not fulfilling for us. Right. So, so we were showing up to work and losing our inspiration and it was like, there's gotta be something more, you know, like there, this is such a cool company with such cool people. And like, what the heck are we doing this for? And I mean, honestly, it sounds so trite maybe, but you got to go back to Simon Sinek's like, why? It starts with why. And it's really, truly like, why are we doing? And so that's, and then when, once we got into it and, and the story with Nathan Havy that we told, you know, on the podcast here, like that was like magical shit going on in the world magical shit just appearing out of nowhere. Like Nathan Havy's like a, a little fairy coming out of the woods and landing on my, my, my campfire, you know, like, it was like, where did this guy come from? And so, but then the, ma- the, the, the magical stuff just keeps happening and it just keeps happening. And we got to stay focused on that. Right. Uh, and, and so that's that question. The, the other question though is, is how do we get other leaders to do it, to take on a meaningful purpose. And, and, and the, the answer to that question is, unfortunately, we have to math out that this shit will make them more money because people are fucking greedy. Right. And like, I'm sorry. I mean, and, and I'm hearing that so often in the world right now. Well, you know, like what's, what's the point if it doesn't make the company more money? And I want to be like, are you kidding? Like, 
really. So anyway, but the, our quest now is to math out because I do believe in every cell in my body that this kind of leadership, purpose, vision, uh, building teams of superheroes inside of organizations that are taking on meaningful challenges, it will absolutely drive the bottom line more aggressively than the traditional mechanism of leadership, period. Yep. Podcast over oh, again. I know. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And it will also be more fulfilling for the people involved, too. Like, oh, oh yeah, there's that. Oh, there's that, too. <laughs> Provided that it's done right. You know, and, and the thing that I, I would define as right is, like, it has to be authentic to the organization. And it has to be authentic to if the founder is still involved. It has to align with who the founder is as a person, what they care about, um, or, or otherwise the current leadership. But it has to be authentic. If it's authentic, then... Yeah, then it also gets to be super fulfilling and it draws all the right type of people into the organization as well as all of the right customers to your door um, when you do it, quote unquote, right. Well, and, you know, the thing that I'm not sure we've talked a lot about in our history that just dawned on me is that supporting you and building a life that you love really came out of this concept that Bob and I wanted people to show up to work as themselves and not having to feel like they had to show up and play some role, right? And 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 that's because we lived our lives that way. We lived our whole lives that way, or we we thought we had at that point anyway. You know, it's funny to look back and think you thought you were aware then, right? <laughs> but anyway, so so but that's a big piece of that where that where that concept came from, and then it just evolved from there. I was going to ask, um, actually, Jeremy, since you mentioned sort of doing things the right way, uh, something I get asked a lot is, what does it even mean to have a better workplace culture? What does it mean to have an improved workplace culture? Is there something that all healthy workplaces, healthy, healthy being an unregulated term, you can't see the air quotes that uh, I'm using right now. Um, is there something that these these better for people workplace cultures have in common. And this one's for all y'all. Uh, so I'm going to look and see whose eyes light up. And Leisha looks like she's ready. Leisha, um, what do you got? Um, the first thing that came to mind when you asked this question was, how often are you getting pushback? Like, how often are you having people in your organization push back and question, like, change or give feedback that might be a seemingly a critique or something like that. It goes back to that. I'm going to say it wrong, but it's like, um, if you never hear no, I'm going to question your yes. And it's that, like, if you aren't hearing those things, you might not be doing it right. Like people might just not feel like they can say the thing or they, they have enough built trust there. Um, and so that, that for me is what, what came to mind. Yeah. So a healthy culture is going to invite and welcome the pushback, welcome the critiques. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Um, I would offer something for that too. And it's, it's going to be a bit of an anecdote. Um, but the, the thing that came to my mind is, is open communication. That's something and that, that I think a healthy workplace is going to be working on is communicating among all of the people that are involved. And the anecdote that came to my mind, the little story that popped into my head was there was a time when the workplace culture at the home office was not super awesome. There was, there, it just wasn't, it wasn't great. And, and, um, the, the day I knew, the moment I knew that there were leaders in place who wanted to make a change to that came in a conversation that I had with you, actually, Mike. And it was very brief. And I think it was on that first retreat into the woods. 
and we were talking about workplaces and we were talking about benefits and you made a comment that was something along the lines of what if we did something like unlimited vacation time? And I was still a little like, I was still getting to know you and Bob at that point. And I remember my face kind of made a face and, and I said, well, right now, I don't know if unlimited vacation time would do me any good at all, because if I want to take a week off, I just have to work 70 hours the week before and 70 hours the week after. And then I just don't work for five days. And I took, I felt like I took a risk in that moment saying that to one of the CEOs of the company. And your response was like, I remember your eyebrows kind of went up and you just said, oh, well, we need to work on that. And that was the moment that I knew it was an investment in getting better. And that was a moment of really risky communication for me, at least, to just come right out and say, like, this is how it is, though. Like, that's a great idea, but it might not be real yet. Um, And so it's that communication thing. Can you say what what it's really like for you and know that your leaders are going to listen and hear it and understand and go, oh, well, that's what we need to work on. And I think the thing that underlies both both those concepts for me is, is it's about trust. It's about vulnerability-based trust. It's about creating psychological safety for the people inside the organization. And, and there is, we could do three more episodes on that topic alone, I think, right? It, there's so much to say, and it's a topic I'm I'm really passionate about. But if, if you are a leader inside your organization wondering whether or not you have a problem, one of the things I would recommend you look at is uh, go Google employee engagement and pick a tool off the shelf that will help you measure employee engagement. Because to me, that is that is one, there's lots out there. Gallup is, I think, probably the most famous version of that. Um, but measure employee engagement because it, it, it will all tie back to whether or not the leaders inside the organization are using practices that help promote a trusting workplace environment. Or the alternative is you're kind of doing it or you're doing it in pockets or you're not doing it at all. And the end result is people are not saying the real thing. Like Alicia said, they're, they are not being themselves. They're not freely communicating. Uh, you're not getting the best ideas to the table, et cetera. So I could, again, I could go on. There's so much there, but that would be the thing I would recommend the leader look at first is are your people engaged? Yes or no. And then start diagnosing from there. What I heard in all of those um, is I think at some point in time, the world thought a healthy workplace meant fun and stress-free and smiley or something like that. And I think in the end, the actual measure of a healthy workplace is is that there is free-flowing communication and that kind of thing. Uh, very free flowing feedback, free flowing. There's a lot of trust between human beings. There's, uh, it's not necessarily stress free. It's not necessarily ping pong tables and video games every day and that kind of thing. It's, it's much more about the actual healthy communication amongst the human beings within the organization. I think there's a perception that this, like this type of healthy workplace culture, can be all rainbows and sunshine, right? But at the end of the day, like we all know we live it. It's not easy. Like you have to have real tough conversations sometimes. It's hard, but oh boy, is it freaking fulfilling. You know, it's it's seemingly rainbows and sunshine, but it's it's hard work, but you you really get to the root of it. And I and I think we're talking about leaders here, and it's like you've got to be ready to hear the real stuff too. 
because it's not going to be all good. You might have to hear some bad. Um, and you have to brace yourself for that. Gro- growth is, personal growth is incredibly fulfilling and inspiring. But growth is hard. And that's what I just heard you say, Alicia. And what we need is we need meaningful challenges that we work together collaboratively around or communicating in a healthy way. And then at the end of the day, we feel amazing over what we're accomplishing. And yeah, by the way, there's a, there's a lot of stress in that. There's a lot of anxiety in that. There's a lot of, but you feel so good about it, right? It's like a, it's like getting the end of a hard workout or a long hike or a, you know, like you, you, you do, like you feel feel great about it. You have endorphins around it, you know, and, and that to me is, is a strong, powerful workplace. And you're loved, right? Like that's the piece, like that's the other piece. Like it's a challenge, but you know, like everybody's got you, you know, and like, and like, that's what powerful teams do together is, is you work hard, you're challenged, you, there's tears, you're swearing at each other. Like it, that's all okay. Because at the end of the day, y'all love each other, you know? Oh my gosh. Could you imagine if we actually had a, a volumetric measurement of the number of tears shed on this team ah. <laughs> over, the, over the course of doing this hard work together? Like there's an actual number <laughs> oh my God. to that. It was all have been connected. Yeah. Oh. Someone may have shed a few more tears than others. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, you top the leaderboard probably, Alicia. I think that's true. (laughs) We just have a lot of feelings. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I mean, that, I I think, like, the fact, I always brag about to people on planes or strangers or whoever, um, I brag about the fact that very often on our team meetings, we hang up and when we're hanging up, we're saying like, love you. Bye. Like, love you. That's weird. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's weird for the world to, to have a team of coworkers very actively. We say it on this podcast, Mike and I tell each other, we love each other at the end of every episode. Uh, and, and that's, that's part of who we are. Um, I want to talk a little bit. Cause so we, we just, uh, dabbled in the realm, and I know I need to start wrapping up things soon, but nah. I want to talk longer, so we're just yeah, going to talk. <laughs> every, every episode has been like every, ep- every episode is like, really, we're going to cut it right here? Like, we're just no, getting we're started. <laughs> I refuse today. Uh, so, we just talked a little bit about how leaders need to be prepared to, to hear the real thing because that's that is for real. Um, when we started inviting feedback, man, that was hard to hear. That was the first time I think I heard Mike talk about crying because of something at, uh, at Big B kind of thing. Cause he heard the feedback from our staff and it was really, really hard to hear. I also want to talk about what the employees obligation or, or responsibility or, or view on this, maybe should be if they're listening to this right now. Um, you know, I I believe it's, of course, the leaders of a company, formal and even informal, are going to know that it's their responsibility to try and make these improvements, improve the communication, improve the level of trust, improve uh, whatever the actual um, practical things are that need improvement, like being able to take vacation time and that kind of thing. What's the employee's responsibility in that? And, and what do we say 
to them if they are not in a position of of leadership of feeling like maybe they can make uh, dramatic change with uh, magic wands. Bree, I saw your face. Yeah, um, that's always that's always something that I'm really intrigued to consider is what what should an employee be bringing to this conversation, um, and that's partly because um, I think I, I referenced working at TGI Fridays when I was in college, and they took us through this this very early leadership or, or um, like employee engagement program that's called Fish. There, it's all about the the Pike Place fish market. There's a book. There's like a movie and stuff like that. But um, there's some things about the book that like didn't age well. So just FYI, there's there's like some stuff in there that I'm not super on board with anymore. But one of the major things was the notion that an employee is in charge of choosing how they show up, and that is something that that an employee can almost always be in control of and have autonomy over. Um, and uh, the employee gets to choose sort of what risks they take, what conversations they have, what vulnerabilities they share with other people. Um, but, but on a very surface level, an employee gets to choose what attitude they're coming in with to, to any job. They get to choose how they're showing up. And um, for me, that's something that I would encourage. It's not, it's not a silver bullet. It's not the be all and end all of what they can do. But I would encourage anybody who's, who's listening to this, who is an employee of a place, to think about what they're taking with them when they go in and, and how high are their walls when they're going into their workplace or how low are they? Um, what kind of energy are they bringing into a space? Um, because I think a lot of great work can begin with an enthusiastic attitude with somebody who's going to try to see what's positive, um, not in a rainbows and unicorns and rose colored glasses way, but literally go find what's good. Um, and that's, that's the, that's the thing that I would say is like, Look at look at how you are going into the space. What are you taking with you? And if you're not feeling great about what you're taking with you, do a little work on that. There's there's work you can do for yourself on your attitude and how you're showing up. Um, and so that's something like our, we exist to support you in building a life you love. We're going to improve workplace culture in the United States. And something that I think to myself almost every morning when I come to work is I'm going to work to love people. That's what I'm going to try to base everything on. Um, I'm not always 100% at it. There, you know, everyone has bad days. We fail a little. It's okay. But I do remind myself every every day when I come into work, I am here to love these people. I'm here to take care of them to the best of my ability. That's the attitude I'm choosing. Um, and and so I think that's it. Choose your attitude. Okay, cool. I'd modify Jeremy. that too, or not modify, but add add on um, to like uh, to me a, a specific tactical thing a person could do in the process of taking responsibility um, for how they show up at work and how they interact with other people is to go to work on their own self-awareness of their work style. I think that's a specific thing that we've done inside going back to it started. It really started in the woods that day. That was the first real blush. I think we took at it. Oh, maybe strengths finder. Anyway, doing some work around figuring out how, how it is that you filter the world and what your strengths and weaknesses are in terms of how you interact with other people that, that uh, will sort of help you be able to see a few different levers that you've got a little bit of control over once you, once you know that they're there and it gets that much more powerful, the more people around you, you can get involved with that too. So if you can get a teammate who is, seems aligned with you who might be up for playing around with it, like, yeah, let's go like do a Myers-Briggs or a, if you can get the disc assessment grade or 
even at Hogwarts, like school to whatever, it doesn't matter, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want to do. So long as you're, you're building a little bit of self-awareness about yourself and others and how those styles come together, yeah. I think you'll start to get a little bit of traction and that's something you can build from. Yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned um, work styles. Cause mine went, my advice was straight into my own work style. Like it, it, I love collaboration. I love working with the team. And so if I'm seeing that a change needs to be made or I'm trying to push push some sort of thing to the front of leadership's mind, um, I'm going to check with my teammates first. And I'm going to be like, hey, do you guys see this too? Like one, they're going to be able to tell me other perspectives that I might not be seeing. They're going to be like, hey, maybe you aren't looking at it this way. Maybe you aren't looking at it this way. But I'm also going to try to come up with possible solutions. Like maybe we could try doing this or this or this and working with those people to come up with those and getting people on board with me. So it's not just singular me saying, hey, I think we need to make this change. But now we have this whole group of people who feel really passionate about this change. And we have a proposed solution. And we can be like, hey, let's try this. It's not on you to fix this. I'm not going to point the finger and say you. It's a we. We're all going to be able to do it. One of, one of the, by the way, that it's all just so beautiful. Um, when people will ask me what, what my r- truly biggest inspiration or aspiration is around Life Lab, my answer is I want every employee to walk into work and demand human-centric leadership. Because once the employee starts demanding it and saying, I'm not going to work here if you're a jerk. I'm not going to work here if my boss is a jerk. Then we'll actually start to see change. You know, I really believe that. I believe that it, and, and it's like, so it's like sort of like a grassroots movement, you know? And, and I think back to like the days when workplaces actually hurt people, you know, and you think back to John D Rockefeller and, you know, standard oil and the trains and all that, like unions came along to just, like give people basics like safety, a reasonable, a reasonable amount of pay, things like vacation and so on. Well, what's the, what's the word for the next level union where you actually expect like personal growth and development and, you know, a nurturing environment that takes care of me and supports me where I go home in a better mood than when I came in that, you know? And so like, like, it's just like the kind of the evolution of that. I mean, a hundred years ago, we were killing people in the workplace. And it was acceptable. Like, no, you know, it was acceptable a hundred years ago ish. And, and so anyway, that's, that's my greatest aspiration for life lab. Yeah. I mean, I think the current stat is that approximately 120,000 deaths are still attributed to workplace stress every year. So we are still killing people. It's just much quieter. Right. Right. That's, that's exactly why we're here. That's why we're talking about this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Thank Um, you for that. Good, good. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, if, if we want to go for another hour, we could talk about how the expectation of the workplace is starting to change. Thankfully, I think sort of the, the, the post COVID great resignation, a lot of that, you know, a lot of people thought it was just about pay. I don't, I don't think it was just about pay. I think it was about raising the expectation of employers, people unwilling to uh, work somewhere that they find no joy and no fulfillment and being unwilling to take just bottom of the barrel, anything, uh, any, any sort of expectation around their, their employer. And I'm so 
thankful. Uh, I know that sounds weird to say, but I'm so thankful that that moment in time happened because it did feel like a grassroots movement. It felt like a movement is is really happening and not just with some progressive companies who are trying to do things a little bit different. It, it, it is employee-led because employees have the power, man. They they outnumber the formal leaders 10 to 1 or something like that. So uh, I think it's very cool. Because I do want to respect time and my bladder because I am pregnant and that's a serious thing. Um, <laughs> I do want to start getting to some of the wrap-ups. I'm going to challenge y'all first with uh, your favorite singular, and you do have to choose one, either personal development or leadership or business book or podcast or resource of some sort. And you can take that wherever you like, but you have to choose one. I know. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Everyone's giving some tough looks right now. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go to Jeremy first on this one. Yeah. I can't not recommend our book. Uh, the moonshot guide book. Yeah. Nicely done. So it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 more than a shame, <laughs> it's more than a shameless plug though. Like if I think about the, the, of all the books on this shelf behind me, which one has had the most profound impact on my life? It's moonshot guide book by a mile uh, be, because it's a visioning tool that helps you figure out what you want to be in your life. Like how you want to be as a person and also like what that ultimate goal is. And then helps you get there. So yeah, for for me, hands down, for an individual or a leader, Moonshot Guidebook. I I appreciate that. Uh, I would not be pregnant right now if it wasn't for that freaking book. So (laughs) (laughs) I can can unpack that later. I'd love to tell that story, listeners. (laughs) Like we can tell it in the in the outro. Oh yeah. There we go. Also, it's online for people freely to get to. Bigby.com slash visioning is a video of you doing an activity with Randy Nealis from a former Bigby Nation Summit where you tell the story. And this is years before you actually uh, followed through. So I didn't even know that. Where is that? Bigby.com slash visioning. No kidding. Wow. Alicia, what about you? Uh, I was really hoping you were going to call on Brie because maybe she'd choose the other because I have two in my brain, but it's fine. Um, I think <laughs> I think Dare to Lead is what I'm going to go with um, by Brene Brown. Um, I love, capital L, love her. Uh, we all do. We are all avid, avid Brene lovers. Um, but what I love specifically about this book is that it teaches people that vulnerability doesn't have to mean bad. Um, it's actually a superpower and it's a way to build trust and build fulfilling relationships that actually mean something. Um, and so I think that in the book of leaders could change the world. So that's the one I, I have chosen. Awesome. Brie. 
That's awesome. That's not, that was, that was one of mine, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go back in time. So I, I like to get, I like to read books that will help me get into sort of like arguments with the author. Um, I, I will want to challenge what they're writing, challenge what they're saying, really unpack it and try to get to the bottom of it. And the first book that I remember reading in the realm of leadership that really like got me fired up to, to, to try and pick fights with this author was actually Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Um, and this would have been, gosh, probably like 10 years ago that I read that book for the first time. And that's what it did for me is, is it challenged me to want to challenge back. And, and I think that that's an important skill for leaders to play around with is this idea that what you know and what they know might be different. And it could be that one is right and it could be that one is not right. But that conversation that can come out of it is what I really love. That's where I learn. That's where I grow. That's where I, you know, get the bumps and bruises that are needed to, to try to, to change position, to try to become a a better leader or a different leader. Um, and I learned a lot from that book. Mike, what about you? Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Firms of, in, firms of endearment. Oh, we're not allowed to give two, You're are we? Not Sorry. Allowed to give no, two. Sorry. No. I'm bad. I'm bad. Sorry. <laughs> Can we all give two now? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, now we all get two. No. <laughs> as long as you just give title and title and author. Let's just do that, right? Yeah. We can't we don't have time to go into explanation of each one. So my mine would be Liz Wiseman, multipliers, and then firms of endearment, Raj Sasodia. You can give another one, but just title and author. Radical candor, Kim Scott. You stole mine. That's what I was gonna say. I got to go with your brain at work, David Rock. Do, uh, do, oh God, I can't tell you what to do, Brie. I'm sorry. I bestow my second to Mike. Mike, you can give. Well, there's uh there's radical candor, but there's also fierce conversations by not Kim Scott, but, um, what's, uh, and it's, I mean, it's as good too. uh, fierce conversations by, Oh shoot! Something Scott. It's not Kim. It's the other one. I don't know. I don't know either. It's okay. It up. I had instant regret, by the way, because I realized that there's I, there's a big I, I, no. It's the Fifth Discipline mm. by Peter Savage. It would be yes. I want everyone to read that book. Susan Scott is the author that Mike was talking about. Thank you, thank you, thank you, <laughs> Susan Scott. Very fierce conversation. Cool, and then there is this book called Grow that some some dude wrote. That's not bad. Okay, so I was going to say that, but then I thought I might get made fun of. You would have gotten made fun of. That's why I said it. You know, we were all sitting around going like, do no, we say know, grow? Do we not say grow? Should we? Should we not? I think if anything, you should all read the foreword to Grow because it's exceptionally written. Oh my God. Genius. The foreword is genius. Shameless plug. Okay, one more question for my friends here. Um, And I'm going to ask you to do it in just a couple of sentences. We are not looking to open a new door because we could walk through it and then still be here for another hour. What do you see as the future of the American workplace? No pressure, Alicia. I won't pick you first because your eyes got the biggest. So uh, let's go with Brie. What's the future of the American workplace? Um, what I, what I see in the future of the American workplace is something that has to do with, uh, flexibility. And I mean that across, uh, the way work is done, the way business is generated, the way people come to work, 
the kind of work that they are doing, but also flexibility in their relationships that they're building at work with teammates, with computers, with whatever is out there. I think flexibility um, will be important, but also that's the path we're walking toward is to be flexible, open, understanding, ready to go. Awesome. Jeremy. So I think about culture across time being about big pendulum swings. I mean more than workplace culture. And I think the pendulum has already been swinging for a bit when it comes to the American workplace. Uh, um, and so I could point to lots of things, but not in two sentences. And so in terms of what outcomes that means, I, I think we're already headed in the direction of leaders who recognize the importance of taking deep care of all of the people inside their organization. And weirdly, I want to tie, tie AI into this answer too, because that's obviously a, a big emerging trend inside the workplace. There are a lot of people who are going to refigure out who they are to their organization in the context of AI. And I think that creates a lot of opportunities inside of that larger context of the pendulum swinging for human-centric leadership and, and human-centric teamwork to really take hold. Very cool. Leash. Um, I, we've mentioned a few of the things over the course of the last, you know, the whole podcast, but I think because millennials and Gen Z make up now majority of the workforce and they care about different things, Brie mentioned flexibility, but at the end of the day, like these generations want a work-life balance. And so I think the the businesses and the companies that employ people that are offering things like flexibility and caring for whole people, whole people, those are the people that are going to start thriving. They're going to have people wanting to work for them. And the people who aren't caring about things or maybe don't have the systems in place to support those things are going to start struggling because we make up, and I say we because I'm a millennial, but we make up majority of the workforce now. And that's that's the large shift that we felt after the pandemic and that we are starting to feel more and more and more as we grow as a group. So perfect. Thriving people make for thriving businesses. Amazing. I want to thank you guys so much for coming on here and having this conversation. I know I am blessed to have these types of conversations with you uh, frequently, but uh, I I know that uh, people listening will have enjoyed this. Hopefully, been challenged by this. I think a couple books probably just got purchased on the Amazon storefront. Um, and I just want to thank you guys because I love you and I appreciate having this kind of conversation. Love you too. Love you too. Thank you. Love you too. Oh, that, that was just, oh my gosh, I love that so much. It really, truly, them. like, they, it's such a pleasure to work with people that inspire you. And, you know, hanging out with that group, I walk away inspired, you know, the the nuggets, the morsels, the rants, the everything. It just, it all, it all feels so good. And I think about how long ago it was that we made a transition in our organization with our purpose and our vision. And it really wasn't that long ago. And, and that's a massive transformation Yeah, in a pretty short period of time. And this group is representative of that. I was thinking about the, the woods. Um, cause I think sometimes we forget about the woods, the moment that we all went to the woods, um, based on a crazy idea that Mike had about taking people to the woods and, uh, whatever else. But that was 
next year, that'll be 10 years ago. Oh, is it? That was really? in 2014, May of 2014. Ooh, I didn't. Well, I guess it has been a while. <laughs> it ha- I mean, it's been a while, but it feels like a blink. It also uh, yeah. is like, oh my gosh, we've done so much and yet we have so far to go. <laughs> that that can be a little overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, I, but if you look at it like this, the the sort of cliche around it's not about the end result, it's about the journey. Mm-hmm. Hanging out with you guys, working on projects with this group, this team, the overall team at Big B, like it is just, in, it's enjoyable and the work is enjoyable, hard, but at the end of the day, fulfilling. And so, you know, that's, it's a cliche, but it's so true, you know, like yeah. if it's about, if it's about the journey you're in the middle of, I love where we are and I love what we're doing. And yeah, it's a hot mess most days, (laughs) but, but I think it's kind of supposed to be. Yeah. I just love that. That's the people that I get to work with every day. Like I literally hang out with them every day and we get to have conversations like that every day. And I feel very lucky, very blessed. I know you guys kind of outcast me, so I don't get to. Oh, stop. (laughs) We needed to free you up so you could go on a book tour. (laughs) Is that what it was? All right. Okay. That's the story we're telling. (laughs) You know, the story I do want to tell from the, from that episode uh, is the story around your baby and blueberry and how that, because I love that story and the realization that moment. To me, it is such an incredibly powerful example of what the visioning process can do to you. And so do you mind telling your... No, not at all. I got it. All right. So the Moonshot Guidebook, uh, Jeremy referenced this. It's a visioning tool. It asks, it poses a bunch of questions to you about, you know, picturing your future and writing it down in detail. And one of the questions in the book is about the last chapter of your life. What do you picture for the last chapter of your life? And I started writing these these details one time. And this was not my first time doing the Moonshot Guidebook. I do it usually every year. I think this was my fourth or fifth year doing it. And all of a sudden, the picture in my brain included a, a gaggle of grandchildren around me and and specifically hanging out in in Florida on a beach somewhere with a bunch of grandkids who came to visit all the time and i don't know either someone asked me when i was sharing or or, or posed the challenge of like how are you going to do that if you don't have kids cuz i didn't have kids in the the 2 year picture the 5 year picture the 10 year picture i didn't have that anywhere and someone you know pointed out that that's going to be rather challenging to accomplish without children well i think you had even articulated the group that you and steven weren't planning on having kids it wasn't yeah, that the, the, that the was children the were out of the picture or that right. they, it wasn't that they weren't included. I think you'd actually even said we weren't, we aren't planning on having children. And then I was like, well, yeah. wait a minute. Grandkids. Well, crap. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, so I, got, I got really mad at my moonshot guidebook and I closed it shut and I threw it on the ground. And then I needed to go talk to my husband because we needed to start the conversation about how to make the grandchildren picture happen. Um, and so that, <laughs> that conversation still lasted a couple years because none of this is an instantaneous process, obviously. Um, and uh, here we are about a month away from having our first baby who obviously will have lots of pressure on her to eventually pump out grandchildren. Yeah, so, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're, a you're, you're a month away from your first step towards grandkids. Yeah, exactly. That's 
we'll just tell her her whole life that, you know, we just had her in order to acquire some grandkids out of it. (laughs) That'll make her feel great. I'm sure. (laughs) But no, that's what, that's what visioning can do. I think it's really magical. I do think people should pick up the moonshot guidebook. If they haven't yet, uh, it can be found on Amazon or on Bigby.com or Bigby.com slash visioning. Apparently it has something I had no idea is on there. I'm going to go check out whatever's at Bigby.com slash visioning that Jeremy mentioned some clip from Randy in my presentation. Who knew? Yeah. It, it, yeah. It just goes to a YouTube clip, which is cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know. I don't, either. I don't know who did that or when, but that's exciting. <laughs> All right. Are we good? We're wrapped for today. I think so. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, For everybody listening, if you liked what you heard today, you can, of course, find more episodes of the Love and Leadership Podcast at loveandleadershippodcast.com or wherever you find podcasts. You can follow us on social media at Life You Love Lab. Uh, I just want to thank you all for listening today. And thank you, Mike, for, like Kay said, being my favorite co-host that I've ever had. (laughs) Uh, Love you lots. Love you too. And we'll see you guys next time.